This is The Union, the intersection between people, apps, and AI. We'll inspire and challenge you as we ask questions, uncover insights, and share inspiring stories about digital ecosystems and automation. All right, well, hey there. I am Scott King, and that is my co-host, Chris Krause. Hey, Chris. How's it going? It's good, good. Hey, everybody, welcome to this episode of the Union Podcast. This one's going to be a little bit different. It's almost a book report, as Chris called it. Um, we're going to talk about the recent McKinsey report that came out. Um, I think this is a couple of weeks ago, Chris. And yeah. it's I've seen it quite a few times online. Uh, the title, and we'll obviously link to all this, is the economic impact or the economic potential of generative AI. So it's not just one model. It's not just one LLM. It's all of them, right? Generative AI. So we took a look at the report and um, I mean, it's really, really interesting. We're going to walk through, walk through some of these findings. Chris, what is there anything that's specifically just like jumped out at you on this? Like what what um, what do you really want to get across to people before we you know kind of walk through the details that we planned? Well, other than it's hot, just like it is in Texas, <laughs> it's like this. The cool thing is, is they they say this is those big things happening is important, but the interesting thing is they actually did some quantification. They qualified out different use cases by industries and gave reasonable statistics and value on them and how it be achieved. So. This one doesn't seem like, you know, hot air. Someone made something up. It's actually, you can see the research on it. Like when you look at like exhibit two and you look at the actual bar charts, they make sense because they're comparing 2017 versus today and the advancements in generative AI versus in like standard analytics by AI. So I, what I liked about it is it's actually well-written and it's not just fluff. They actually came up with some really good statistics and how the industries should adopt and change. Yeah, I mean, the McKinsey Global Institute, they, they do compare with that 2017 report. Um, and I, I would like to be a, a fly on the wall at some of those meetings when they saw the generative AI and then, you know, someone said, hey, look at our old report. It is completely outdated. We need to redo this because the impact is much, much greater, right? Because we see the use case, right? So we've done a couple of different uh, chat GPT uh, episodes, like you can't unsee it kind of thing, but you can think about your own job and then the, maybe the people reporting to you and understand how they can use it. They saw the same thing and they said, okay, this is an extra like 2.6 to $4.6 trillion like per year, not, not years from now, per year. Uh, I can't even quantify 2.6 trillion. They said it's the GDP of the UK, uh, which yeah. seems like a big yeah. number. I don't, what's the GDP of Texas? It's probably a little bit bigger, but, um, yeah. you wow. know, I, understanding the impact, I think is a good point that you brought out, Chris, because they quantify the use cases, right? So in the report, they talk about, um, you know, all these different use cases. They got a chart of them on exhibit three. Um, yep. and we'll, on, what is this page? 14, 12, 12, page 12. And I mean, they, they list out all these use cases, right? Um, the top portions, Chris, they say are 75% of that impact, which right. 
I, I want to know how they got to there, right? Because, I mean, this is sales, marketing, software engineering, customer operations, and then product R&D. What, what are your thoughts on some of those use cases? Well, I thought the, I think the customer operations actually is a little different approach than what people usually think of. We've traditionally thought of, I have, you know, I spend $10 on a phone call with the customer. I spend $15. How do I knock off $1? And so it's always been taking the existing mode, how we do our business today, and changing it just a little bit. But they're saying you're going to get 30 to 4% um, reduction in costs, but it's by doing it differently. You actually want the generative AI, because it has natural language understanding, to answer the question and solve the case for the person and completely deflect it and not go to the person. So save the complete cost of the call, don't even go to it at all. And so that's a different mind in motion because you know, FAQs and chatbots, they promised that, but it never worked because it didn't have, it was just basically you know, a, a placeholder to get you frustrated before you talk to a person, right? But in this case, you know, if the generative AI actually can understand your question and say, prompt you for fill out this form for recall, or this is a specific manual that you're looking for, and these are the instructions in the manual, the details, that's actually a change in that. So that's a big difference that we can actually say, get more done with the same people, and then that would increase our, our um, customer satisfaction. But it's, I think it's interesting because they're taking a different approach. Yeah, I would... You know, I would really want them to realize more of get rid of the call, like you said, to begin with, like um, especially uh, like a, a sales related call. So I went to a website uh, from a vendor that we pay money for uh, and it's a web system. And I was asking this really specific question. Um, I wanted to understand the API rate limits like, hey, if we start using your API, uh, what's it going to cost me? And, um, you know, where's where's all the technical specs, right? And it it forces me to talk to a salesperson. So I asked this question. The salesperson clearly didn't know what an API was and didn't know how to help me. So I thought this is clearly an automated use case, right? I just, all you have to do is understand keywords and and entities like API. He didn't know what it was. So I went out to Google, typed the same exact question, and Google gave it to me. So that's a simple right. thing, you know, in terms of getting rid of a, you know, a customer, um, you know, use case, right? So a sales use case, a salesperson doesn't need to answer that. Yeah. Well, I think in reality, what we think of is like, we've both worked for giant companies and for small companies. And in giant companies, like, oh, you have a question about performance management. You talk to this, you APM, talk to this part, monitoring hardware, talk to this salesperson. Development and test, talk to this person. CRM, talk to this person. So, like, people tend to be deep specialists in one area, but because computers are faster and computers gotten better, the AI model can be a master of five or six different functional areas. And so, you know, that guy may only understood of how do you talk about the UI works, not how the APIs on the back end. So, that is kind of cool that, yes, the computer or, you know, a bot using natural language understanding, natural language generation, is trained across all the disciplines for the company. So they should give you the right answer faster. And so it makes sense because humans do, they can't memorize everything. You're either a generalist and know a little bit of a lot or you're a specialist in one area. 
And so the cool thing is, because software, we can be both. Yeah, I mean, software is just much faster, right? I mean, memory recall, like you remember everything, but you forget where you put it. Um, any yes, memory exactly. experts could uh, could explain how that works, but that's what I remember about it, right? Um, yeah. Which is which is why you're like, oh yeah, you know, I forgot about this, and then now I know it because something else reminds you, some tangential piece of information reminds you of that. Um, yeah. All right, so the so customer service and the customer operations clearly the the easiest use case because we mm-hmm. all understand the frustrations of the chatbots because people ask us all the time. What's the difference between Krista and a chatbot? Um, the chatbot's dumb, right? It doesn't know anything. Um, so marketing and sales, um, you know, they do go through, that's a high use case. And marketing, um, my LinkedIn feed is nothing but here's how I use ChatGPT to do this, right? Because it's really good at generating content, generating pictures. Um, that's an easy use case. That's not our target market, right? So we're clearly into um you know, looking at the enterprise IT operations and things like that. Um, they do mention software engineering, Chris, uh, as, you know, a big use case. What, you know, walk us through some of the use cases and how, how that would work. Well, the, so the one thing is you talk about the fear of adopting technology. So, you know, computer software people using a co-pilot to help you code. So we've had paired programming for years. But the idea is now instead of a second person, you have the computer as a co-pilot helping you. And we had we had autocomplete years ago in classes and functions. And given it's software engineering people, they like new technology. They like to try new things. So the fear of trying AI to help with this isn't there. And they realize it's not going to take away the job. You still have to like give it enough instructions of what to do. So I think that's why that diagram on page 20 calls out all the different areas. And first, there are people who tech, who advance and want to use new technology. They're not afraid of new technology. So that's why you see traction there. So coding co-pilots makes sense because do you want that emotional problem of Scott's looking over my shoulder telling you I'm coding wrong? Or do you just want a co-pilot to make suggestions? You know, you're missing a, a possible case here or yeah. and testing. Functional testing, low performance testing, it's not easy. We need more of it. We never have enough time. So if software can help us get it done faster because it's, you know, hey, we've been working on this for two weeks. You have 24 hours to do all your job. Of course, you're going to go with it. And I thought it was interesting. They actually took it all the way to maintenance. And that's our, our use case with Imperium, right? They Like when you have all these huge log files, you need to look at errors and consolidate them and and um, you need to then summarize them quickly and draw a conclusion. They actually took it all the way to maintenance, which I think is good. And so to reiterate, that is actually happening now because technology, people like new technology. We're not afraid to try it and use it. So it's a no brainer that, so it's it's a good example, right? Because that can be done across other lines of business. Yeah, and if I was a software engineer, I would really keep all the hallucination case study stories in my back pocket and and say, uh, you know, I'm not going to hallucinate. I know how the code works, right? Um, I yes. would definitely do that too. But, I mean, um, like you said, there's been code generation tools forever. Um, and, and that I mean, that's a software runs everything, so it's, it's only going to get better and better and better. Yep. Um, then it did call out research and development i feel this is probably the furthest from our expertise but we'll touch on it yeah um what what did they say about r d 
Well, it was interesting. They went over a lot of the complex algorithms, but what it came down to is that compute is getting faster, like specifically GPU performance and actually the computer threading models to actually perform these activities and research and development like in pharmaceutical is actually getting much faster. So I think the, the they pointed out like these and they give some very particular complex algorithms they use in that. They've been around a long time, but it took a long time to process. Now the advancements in hardware to complement the AI means they can actually use it. It's 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 fast enough that in real time you can actually get this out of GPU. So I I like the fact that they call that multiple use cases and they weren't reiterating the same point. Each one had a different point. CPUs, GPUs are getting better. We have processing units for AI, you know, we are assisting people with co-pilots, you know, content, you know, looking at multiple things in sales and marketing, drip feeds, all those type of things. I think it's it was really good. They call that different points. And I think all of them seem tangible and reasonable to me. There, it, there's This is not, you know, this is not something I'm going to do in 10 years. This is something I should be doing in the next 10 days. Yeah, yeah, or 10 minutes, right? I mean, you can, you can yeah. do this right now. Um, all right, so that that outlines the top 75% of the impact. And then they go into, okay, here are the bottom uh, 25%. And, and I'm going to kind of go like impact is a percent of functional spend. I'm going to go backward, right? So the most impactful, they say, of the smaller ones, uh, procurement, uh, risk and compliance, legal finance, manufacturer, uh, manufacturing strategy and pricing, right? I was really surprised to see risk and compliance here. Yeah. Um, well, because I- like maybe they're not really thinking about the impact because the, the finance, like maybe it's not a gain, right? It's a risk aversion. So, mm-hmm. so maybe we, you know, maybe we'll write a complimentary report on the, the risk aversion gain is actually good for risk and compliance because that's a complicated thing, right? Measuring all these yeah. uh, audits and suppliers, like how many third party suppliers do large companies have? Thousands, right? How do you manage that? Yeah. Um, what do you think about the risk and compliance? Well, I think that we would probably disagree with that. Sam's done a podcast with you on it, but. I think the trick is the lens that they were looking at this was that I'm going to take a corpus or body of information and train a specific large language model on this to answer these questions. And in this case, things like finance. So when someone says, you know, what were my sales this quarter compared to last quarter? Well, that's not something that you're going to statically train over time. That's where, like on our last podcast series, we talked about you want to use automation to get real-time data. So go into Salesforce and give me the active deals for this quarter, give me the deals that closed last quarter, and then use that to answer my questions. So it's like a lot of these is getting very pertinent real-time data out of your backend system. So extracting data and using that. The the training of the models is great. It's going to give you language specifics, so we'll know the difference between legal questions and procurement questions. But I think the reason they put these as low is everything about very traditional, I'm going to build a model, I'm going to train a model, and it, and you would have to train it for your company's answers versus, you know, a generic answer. But we talked about the last um, blog series, right, the last podcast, like, you can actually solve this a different way. So I think if you look at this, that different lens, it's like, okay, the large language model is there to understand what I'm talking about. 
but I have other ways to give it the data so it has the right answers to look for, then these would go up. So I think it's probably true in general, but take a different view on how you want to train the models and get to the data. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, exhibit four. This is on page 25 on, and specifically I'm going to look at the risk in legal um, yep. you know, and supply chain, right? I think supply chain is risk and legal because I'm thinking third party risk, right? Third party risk. Yeah. Um, software suppliers or maybe, you know, hardware goods suppliers. And I'm just scanning mm -hmm. for the, um, you know, I'm scanning for the dark uh, boxes here. Yep. Um, you know, banking, uh, energy, insurance, real estate, telecommunications. This is all, I'm thinking these people have the most complicated contracts. Um, they have the most in customers, right? Because these are consumer goods, right? So yeah. for the, the risk and legal aspect of the gains could be skewed a little bit, which is why I think, you know, we would like to see the risk and compliance um, higher on the list because of what we're doing, right? We're not training a model to answer the question we are using automation to go find the data, then to intelligently prompt the generative AI to produce the question, right? Yeah. Which is, you yeah. know, it sounds the same, it's completely different. Uh, using yeah. automation to do it is way easier and way, way less expensive. If you're interested, that's obviously what we do at Krista. Yeah. Um, but but I think that is interesting is is it's, it's just low and I'd like to see it. Yeah. For sure. Um, all right. So then they go on to the type of work, right? So generative AI is estimated to have the impact uh, on a certain type of work. Chris, what what is that? Well, so they're actually looking at, it's funny, they're saying, you know, back office versus front office. So, so customer facing, you know, like in a call center, I've got complaints, I've got orders and that. And then they talk about back office things at a bank, but then all of a sudden, the type of things you're talking about are actually customer facing. So it's like, okay, this, this is actually customer service. It's just for a backend process within the bank itself. And, and yeah, I think that what will happen is there's certain things like getting, having the generative AI, make sure you've got all your documents in place before it goes to the loan officer to approve. Like there's certain things you can do. You can scan the documents you give it, say you emailed in 20 attachments and it can figure out, this is your W-2, this is, you know, letter of employment, this is all these different things. These are bank accounts and balances. And then it can make a suggestion and then have a human approve it. So there's there's a lot of things there that the AI can be very assistive um, and it would help the professionals with just the nonsense work of you're missing this, I can't do this, you're missing that. And, you know, those, I think there's a lot that actually can happen in there. And then the thing is, if you train it on your specific model, so your prompt engineering is your specific rules and policies, it won't deviate from this. If you actually say these are these, you cannot vary from these policies in the answer, then you actually give instructions to the model to, that it has to be black and white based on the policies. So it's it part of it's like just thinking about how you're going to do that in your prompt engineering, like you mentioned. Yeah. And then, you know, with those different examples and, and where they sit in different areas of the world, they did touch on the the cost of solving the problem is going to be sometimes more expensive than the labor to do it. So mm -hmm. the, the lower wage countries, you know, how we've uh, shifted labor from 
you know, from North America to other places, right? That that still could be advantageous to solve it with a human, although you're just kicking the can down the road with that, right? Yeah. Yeah, and like the skill biasing, but so the like we mentioned before. Yes, the cost center agents are going to be a lower salary person. You've probably right short it, so you're in a good cost model there versus an officer at a bank, you know, sitting in a local branch. But the idea is generative AI actually has the opposite pattern. If we can actually train them on the 55 things that the cost center agent needs to know, and they're maybe only well-skilled in five or 10, and it can actually deflect the calls completely, then you get a lot of value there. And and then really, if you take care of the nonsense and let the skilled people actually work on decisions, like making sure they have all their documents, they validated the documents they've submitted, then that actually is a game changer, right? So more educated people can focus on using brain power to do educated things versus, okay, let me make sure they got all the forms filled out and I have all the forms I need to process this. So it, it, is, it's, it does help some with the tasking stuff. But that gets that off the hands of people you want to be focused on thinking and decisioning. Yeah, because that's the that's the high value, right? I mean, anybody that receives a request from outside of uh, the company or a peer, like, hey, can you do this for me? Right? It's like, well, yeah. I'm really working on this thing, right? That's really important, and this isn't right. Everybody has that list. So if you could get rid of the where is this? How can I find? Can you help? Um, because that, that's what happens. I mean, that's what happens to you all the time, right? So Chris, yeah. you're the smartest guy here. Um, how does this work? Right. Uh, which is why you're on the podcast, by the way. Yeah. Um, and, and so if you could get rid of all of those tasks, like you said, that 50% of stuff that just someone just doesn't understand or they can't find it, then, mm-hmm. then doing that is an enormous value. And that's more where the report goes into the, you know, the white collar, the high knowledge workers uh, to remove those type of tasks. So completely agree. Um, so Chris, I think we're going to, um, I think that's what we, that's what we wanted to discuss. I want to yep. get to the, the last exhibit that I want to talk about is exhibit six. And to, to me, this is the biggest takeaway. Um, and, and this goes from when McKenzie did the report from 2017 uh, into 2023. They said, hey, as a result of the generative AI, um, we're completely reestimating what we thought, right? Because the natural language understanding technology has just leapfrogged over everything else. And they, they list all of these capabilities, um, you know, coordination with multiple agents, creativity, reasoning, natural language generation, which is what we're talking about today, um, understanding, output articulation, sensory perception. So what they, the biggest takeaway is they said the, the median, the human median capability uh, for this technology was going to come out in 2027, which means like, okay, four years from now, the technology would be half as good as a human doing those things. Now they're yep. saying that's today. Right. So that's a four year difference. That's a big deal. How how do you think people are going to perceive that and what should they do? Well, I think some people will be laggards and be like, eh, it's hype. I don't believe it. But this this paper does a really good job of describing that. They lay that out and they actually describe practical use cases where it's being done. So it's going to be working with 
people saying, you know, there's there's what you see, and people are very interested in ChatGPT. They hear that on the news, and then they kind of got scared. But what about hallucinations and all these problems? So there's that middle ground of okay, how can we actually operationalize this? And we are still getting questions on that. Like one of our um, big partners, they said they queried customers for use cases. I thought they'd get 10. They literally came up with 100 use cases they could put dollar value behind. So we've upped our expectations. And the fact that the technology has advanced to where it is in 2023 means that, you know, you've got to start doing it now. If not, your your competitors are going to do it and you're going to be left behind. So this isn't, this is no longer a wait and see what happens because it is 2027 is that has shifted left to 2023. So that's cool. So I think it's, it's a big mind shift and, you know, budgets will probably be shifting for 2024 on actually saying we have to do this. You know, we've started dabbling now and we need to operationalize this big time across the organization. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. People are going to shift budgets, um, you know, 2024 budgets because they're playing with it now. They're doing pilots. Mm -hmm. Um, This stuff really works. It's really attainable. It's really valuable and it's not as difficult as people are making it because I think they're doing it the wrong way. And so with the, our previous episodes, Chris, that we just finished on our uh, generative AI integration, um, you know, methods, right? We did uh, how fast you can actually do it, um, Mm -hmm. you know, governing your data. And then you really need automation to do the next steps of the generative AI. So we'll, we'll link back to that. Um, so Chris, any, any closing thoughts before we let everybody go? Yeah, I'm good. I mean, it's, I was thinking the power might go out of my house again, but we're good. We made it. All right. Well, I really appreciate it, Chris. And thanks everybody until next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the union. I hope it was insightful and caused you to think about how you can influence technical advancements at your company. Please subscribe to the Union Podcast Series on your favorite podcast player to listen to past and future episodes. If you have a question for any of us or have a suggestion for the show, please email me at scott at Thanks for listening.